Let me ask you to turn to the front of your Bibles. In the front of your Bible, you will find the index. (laughs) And from there, you can find the book of Jonah. This may be the most familiar, unfamiliar book in the Bible. Their headquarters is near Mosul, Iraq. And uh, their goal ultimately is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They are hated by them and by the countries around for their... Uh, expansionist activities. They are feared by those around them for their aggression and their cruelty, for torturing those that uh, they conquer, spreading terror in the countries all around them. They perform public executions of their enemies, regularly dismembering them in a very public way. Rape and looting is a way of life of those that uh, they take the land from. Now, when you hear that description, if you follow the news at all, Surely you'll think I'm talking about ISIS, Islamic State of Israel, Syria. That's a jihadist militant group that follows uh, Islamic fundamentalists. In fact, what we see is a, a deep parallel in history because what I was describing was actually Nineveh. Those things I said to you, while they fit with ISIS, they fit just as perfectly with the city of Nineveh, down to the location. We're going to read from... Jonah, and uh, I, I was pleased just talking with somebody a few minutes ago who, who had read through, and like I suggested last week, read through Jonah, and he said, man, I got a lot of questions, and there are a lot of questions that uh, this book brings up, but that's what makes it fun, and uh, we will see there's a whole lot more there than a big fish story. It's about a great God. And that's the account that we read. We are in Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain Kate said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask for you to give us understanding by your Spirit. We really think we know this story, some of us. But you preserve this down through the centuries, and you preserved it for us, for we who are in this room, to be reading it and studying it today and in the weeks to come. So we pray that you would indeed be our teacher. <laughs> Open our hearts to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not going to say a lot about uh, the whole idea of uh, Jonah and where it fits in with the prophets today. We're going to fill in some of those gaps in weeks to come. But um, Jonah would be what we call uh, a minor prophet. When we say minor prophet, there are major prophets and minor prophets. It's not talking about importance. Minor simply means it's a shorter book. And the major prophets, I mean, who am I to say which of his prophets are minor, right? You know, the larger books are called the major prophets. So um, that's what Jonah is. Let's take a look. Sometimes we know a lot about uh, the prophet himself. Uh, in this case, we don't necessarily know a lot about, but let's take a look at verse 1, how, how it opens up. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So we don't know much more than that. He appears uh, elsewhere in the scripture I'll refer to in a minute. But Jonah... The name means dove. His father's name means truth or truthfulness or faithfulness. Dove having to do with, uh, with peace. But notice what, what his, he's called immediately. He's called a servant and a prophet. 
Now, in the Old Testament, a servant was that, a technical term when it's used this way for somebody specifically called by God for a specific purpose. And so that's certainly where his prophets fit in with that. And uh, he'd been a, 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 before his call to Nineveh, he apparently had already been a prophet. We'll see what he was doing before that. But to be a prophet was a high calling because the prophet was the way that God revealed himself. Now, let's take a little side road here just for a minute, and, and it's referring back to uh, our study when we went through the book of Ephesians and also when we went through the book of Acts, uh, and, and that is to just define in terms of uh, the role of the prophet. And because occasionally, depending on which channels you watch, you can find somebody that claims to be a modern-day prophet. Now, we would say, well, let's, take, let's compare that against the Scripture and see if that you know, should be the case. And so we look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, and we're told that uh, the, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. When we studied that, we talked about how the foundation is built once and then built upon. But it's not built again and again and again to where you have many foundations uh, throughout uh, a building, and neither is the church. So God, of course, specifically used that to say that these apostles and these prophets, they were foundational. It was through the apostles and the prophets that his word was revealed. That's where we got the scripture. We now have the scripture. It is complete. And so there is no need for this kind of a prophet in our day. To claim to be a prophet in our day, if you're claiming to be bringing new revelation like they were, it's unbiblical and it's redundant. So keep that in mind. That's the biblical definition of uh, the prophet. But of course, Jonah was a legitimate prophet here. Now let's look at his call. Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we see this very simple, direct call uh, to, to Jonah. And uh, so his, uh, his duty was at that point to follow the call see what he does. If God is sovereign, and if he calls, then our duty is to follow that call. But we will see that even though he was a prophet, he had big struggles with that specific call. Uh, think of the city itself. Uh, now, I mentioned earlier that ISIS is there in uh, Mosul, and basically across the river is 
Nineveh. And interestingly enough, when uh, uh, they were threatening the armies to come down and approach uh, ISIS, who was occupying there, uh, one of their big threats was, we will destroy the remains of Nineveh, which uh, there, some of the remains are, are still there, and they're an archaeological treasure. And that was one of the threats that ISIS made uh, in terms of them. Now, Nineveh, uh, it was a long way from Israel, some 600 miles northeast. Uh, would have been uh, near Mosul or Baghdad in Iraq, capital of Assyria, and uh, the capital of this evil, violent empire. It's called a great city. Um, it's a great city in the sense of we have major and minor prophets. It's talking about the size of it. It's like us calling uh, this the great hall, like we do. It's the big hall. And so that's what it, it means here. God was not saying this is a wonderful place or, you know, that kind of a thing. It wasn't. It was an evil place, but it, it was uh, large. Uh, Jonah 3 Verse 3 tells us that it was three days' journey to walk across it. Uh, that probably in, includes what we would call uh, Greater Nineveh or the suburbs of Nineveh. Um, so, you know, you might have been able to walk across actual Nineveh a, a little bit more quickly. Uh, the last verse of the book tells us it had more than 120,000 people in it, uh, which that sounds small, I know. That would be a small city in our day when we have cities of 20 million people, you know, some of the world-class cities. In this day, of course, the population of the world was smaller and it was agrarian. This was one of, if not the largest city in the world. So that's, that's the city that he is being called to. It's about twice as uh, many people live there as lived in Babylon. Uh, its walls uh, were 100 feet high. Those are high walls. I've, I meant to uh, try to figure out what would that would be like, um, but I, I forgot to. So you all need to figure out what 100 feet <laughs> would be like. But it's like way up there for a wall. Um, it's, fl it, it's flanked with 1,500 towers, each of them 200 feet high. And uh, they say that either three or four chariots could drive on the top of the wall abreast. So this, this is huge. I mean, this is a, a massive uh, uh, city wall that's surrounding them. His mission, call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Now, the other place we see Jonah mentioned is over in 2 Kings 14. You don't need to turn to it. Uh, the other place in the Old Testament he's mentioned. By the way, he's mentioned by Jesus as a historic figure. So don't, don't think that, oh, this is just, you know, some myth or fable or something like that. When Jesus talks about him, we'll, we'll talk about this. He talks about the, what happened to him in terms of the 
being inside the great fish and all of that. Uh, so Jesus understood him to be a historic figure. But uh, back in 2 Kings 14, uh, his message at that point as a prophet, though, was the expansion of the kingdom and financial blessings for Israel. So that was like gravy. That was like, hey, this is a great assignment as a prophet. And he would have been well-known. He would have had uh, notoriety, most people think. But this is a different assignment. And look at his, uh, Jonah's response. Francis Thompson uh, wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. It was first published in 1893. And it starts this way. Uh, and, and this is a poem that uh, greatly influenced men like G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien. Uh, you know, this was a very influential poem. It's very lengthy. But the, the first lines begin like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears I hid from him. And then the rest of the poem is about uh, this one fleeing from the hound of heaven, from God, and hearing the ever-patient footsteps behind that are pursuing. Um, it's, it's an amazing uh, account. Um, God's relentless pursuit of his own people. We have Jonah's call, and then it says this, verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. Um, by the way, today, try to say Tarshish like four times in a sentence. I've worked on this all week long uh, and found a, a, a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, uh, away from the presence of the Lord. Why go to Tarshish? And why would he think there he would be away from the presence of the Lord? Now, where is it? Uh, there's some debate as to exactly where Tarshish was, but but there's also some consent where, where people feel like that it was uh, on the western coast of modern-day Spain. So let me draw us a map up here. Let's, let's put Jonah over about where the flowers are, okay? And that's where God speaks to him. And Tarshish would be up at the top um, uh, that... Uh, E-flat pipe up there, okay? <laughs> and so where, where uh, that's Nineveh, rather. I'm sorry. Nineveh is up there. And Tarshish would be somewhere beyond that upper corner. Sorry to point you out up there, but beyond that upper corner up there. It was four times the length away from where he was. It, was. it was from here to L.A., um, which 
in that day was considered the edge of the world. You know, for us, that's not the case, certainly. But uh, that was the farthest of, uh, you know, that they would, they'd talk about going. So why would he think he'd be away from the presence of the Lord? Here's, here's a hint. And the hint is, who was not living in Tarshish? And this is what it says in, uh, Tarshish is mentioned in, Isaiah 66, 19, and this is how it's described. They have not heard my fame or seen my glory. Okay, so who was not living there? God's people weren't there. Where am I going to flee? Where is a place where there aren't other believers that know me as a prophet, that would call me out as a prophet, that would want to hear the word from me? And so he chose Tarshish. He went to Joppa to find a ship to sail on. And by the way, Joppa was not an Israelite port. So he didn't even go to a a port where God's people would be. He went to another one to Joppa. And so here's the picture. Jonah goes to Joppa. He sees a sign, you know, um, that says, Nineveh, 600 miles. And then he sees, uh, you know, and that's where God's calling him. And it says, free trip, all expenses paid. (laughs) Okay? And then he sees the other sign that says, Tarshish, 2,200 miles, you pay. And he goes that way, you know. Okay, God told me to go that way, and he makes an about face and basically goes the opposite way. So the idea of, uh, uh, you know, uh, that kind of a, a reaction, uh, sadly, I've, I've seen that behavior way too many times. It's like the professing believer. Danny, I know you see this all the time. The professing believer who knows what's right and what's wrong, and yet is determined to do what's wrong, is determined to go the opposite way that God has said to go. And so what do they do? They avoid Danny, usually, until the hound of heaven gets to him. They avoid God's people because they're not going to agree with the way I'm going. And so they want to go where people will affirm, yeah, that's the way to go. You're all right. Don't worry about that stuff. And then they can go their own way because they're getting counsel 
from people who don't know God. Now think about that behavior of Jonah. Think about even this whole idea that he's going to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew better than that. We all know better than that, but Jonah is a prophet of God. He had read Psalm 139, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, he was about to find that one out too, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. But he had convinced himself he could go to Tarshish. Because that wasn't mentioned in Psalm 139. And I can flee from the presence of the Lord there. Now, before we judge Jonah too harshly, let's talk about why he ran. Maybe... He was intimidated. Some have speculated that. And I, I, I would understand that. I would get that. You know, go to this city. What? They got 100-foot walls. How do I even get in, you know? And maybe he was intimidated by, where do I start? When, in, in our denomination, when we plant a church like that, we call it parachuting, a church planter in, and that means... <coughs> He goes in and he doesn't have any contacts and he just has to start somewhere and, you know, one person at a time and so on. And that's what he's been told to do. Maybe he was intimidated, but the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Or some speculate he was just afraid. He was afraid of what the Ninevites might do to him. They were cruel and ruthless people. They were the ISIS of the day. They were Al-Qaeda they were Nazis to the Jews. That's who these people were. It would be understandable if he was afraid, but there is no indication in the Scripture that that was his problem. Now, it's possible both of those might have been somewhere in his mind, but... We're going to fast forward, and I'm going to tell you why he didn't want to go. Here's the real reason. Jonah 3, verse 10. Jonah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing a spoiler here because you already know he ended up going there. He preached, and they repented. And, and this is what it says, verse 10 of Jonah 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Yes, we'll talk about God relenting in a future sermon. We'll, we'll, we'll work through that. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
relenting from disaster. Do you see what he's saying? I just knew it. You would forgive them if I tell them the good news of the gospel. And those are evil people. And this is where the title for this series came from. Why I'm calling it Grappling with Grace. Because he's grappling with a God who is gracious. The the whole idea of grappling, that's like, um, you know, some schools call their, their wrestlers, you know, they might have a headline saying, grapplers win or something like that. That's an old term for wrestling. And that's, that's what we see here. He knew God well enough. He was a prophet. He knew God well enough to know that he was being sent to these wicked, awful uh, Ninevites. And if they responded, that God would spare them. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, they were wicked. They were hated. They were cruel. They would have loved to destroy Israel. They would have loved to destroy Jonah. And Jonah didn't want mercy for them. He wanted mercy for himself. He wanted mercy for his people. But he didn't want it for them. So this is Jonah. And the beginning of his run to Tarshish. Listen, I I read this this week, uh, a confession of a person who's a believer. It's not somebody in our church. It was in an article. I've spent most of my life running away from God. I believe in Him and attend church regularly. I give regularly and am active in Sunday school. People think of me as a good Christian, but inside, deep in my heart, I think I may be trying to escape really doing His will. I wonder if I'm running in the wrong direction. Now, I don't personally know anyone that has literally, literally run from God when God was leading them to do something. But I have seen many whose soul has run from God. Tarshish can be inside our own soul. Tarshish can be your marriage when you're running from God. Or Tarshish can be your calling to follow God. We will see that the hound of heaven, because of his grace and because of his love, will not give up on the hunt for his own. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we 
We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are living and active through your word. Will you convict us where we need to be convicted and help us not to turn and run for Tarshish, but by the power of your spirit to turn and flee, flee to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.